This podcast from Teacher is supported by Enhanced TV. Enhanced TV streams the best curriculum-linked movies, documentaries and TV shows Australian television has to offer. Use the word teacher in the promo code at sign up and receive an ongoing free individual account. Subscribe free at enhancedtv.com.au today. Hello, I'm Jo Earp and welcome to another teacher podcast. With students returning to -to face-to-face classes here in Australia, I thought it might be a good time to take a breath and reflect on what's certainly been an intense couple of months for everyone. My guest in this episode is Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy, Director of the ACER Institute and the Centre for School and System Improvement. We'll be talking about what's happened and where to from here, continuity of teaching and learning during COVID-19, trying to understand and mitigate the impacts on student outcomes, how schools have adapted to emergency remote teaching, and how the experience could lead to future changes and innovations in practice. So let's get started. Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy, welcome to Teacher Magazine. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to start by casting our minds back. The past couple of months have been very intense. We've all been adapting to new ways of working and new ways of living. Early on, it became obvious in the education sphere that although schools, in terms of the physical space, were closed, that didn't have to mean a stop to the learning for students, for teachers and for school leaders as well. Although it's been challenging, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, schools have have certainly had a, a really challenging time to ensure continuity of teaching and learning and um, ensuring the well-being of their students. And we know from the schools and education systems we work with just how well teachers and schools have collaborated to be doing face-to-face and remote teaching during this period at the same time. And they've had to work with parents to support student learning in the best way they, they can with the resources that they have. And it hasn't really come to a standstill here in Australia. I know that in some countries around the world, uh, they've had to shut down schools and there's been little happening in terms of alternative delivery. And of course, there are different reasons for that, depending on the circumstances in each country. In Australia, then, we've managed to keep things going. And in fact, some students have actually thrived during this situation. Yeah, that's true. And it was never an option um, for any for learning to stop uh, in Australia. And we uh, across the country, schools have stayed open for vulnerable children, but also um, having students who could stay at home, stay at home. So um, I think right across the nation, there's been a huge endeavour to keep everyone as connected with learning um, as possible. In the article that you co-authored for Teacher with ACR Institute colleague Dr Amory Chase, who's course coordinator for postgrad courses and online learning, about the continuity of teaching and learning during COVID-19, you highlighted some of the things that had to be in place for schools to successfully adapt to this new way of teaching and learning. The key to that, to me, seemed to be collaboration. So making the best use of existing resources, working together to identify expertise, um, making the best of what you've already got, I guess, as a, as a, as a firm starting point. Is that right? Um, absolutely. Um, so in the situation that we had, which you know we, we're kind of calling remote teaching or even emergency remote teaching, 
schools are just having to amass and uh, audit the resources that they have to be able to do that continuity of teaching and learning. And the only way to do that is collaboration because um, we can't have individual teachers trying to teach face-to-face classes and remote classes at the same time. So it's been an opportunity to um, for, for teachers and schools to think about different ways that they were going to be using their resources, including how they're going to be contacting and working with parents uh, to be able to just continue the learning the best way that they can. Remote learning during COVID-19 then, that includes online and offline learning activities. And I want to come back to discuss that access to technology in a moment. Um, As well as schools and educators, parents and students have responded and adapted. It hasn't been business as usual. We need to recognise the constraints of the situation and the pressure that was being put on teachers and students and parents. It wasn't about keeping to a normal timetable, was it? No, it wasn't at all, and nor could it be, because um, that's why we sort of try and characterise it as emergency remote teaching, because it's it's not business as usual. Um, And schools have had to find ways in which they can uh, provide resources and support to students and for home learning in a way that they would never have been able to never even thought that they would have to plan to do um, so I, I, it's been a very difficult situation uh, and and schools and teachers have managed in, in an amazing way the kind of different kinds of resources and different kinds of ways that they they have done that have been quite amazing absolutely yeah we'll, we'll come back to talk about some of those school examples later on i know you want to highlight a couple in particular i touched on in the previous question the idea of online and offline learning and access to technology. When we think about learning from home, I guess there's a tendency to just think about online learning, but I know you prefer the phrase remote learning. Um, yeah, because really um, there is a distinction. There's a big, quite a big field of knowledge around online learning that comes from the higher education sector, but it hasn't been so relevant for schools uh, until now. Um, and there's a difference. On online learning is something that is carefully planned. It has a special learning environment called a learning management system. It's uh, the learning management system is kind of like an online classroom. Um, it's specially designed to be able to scaffold and support collaboration. Uh, peer interaction has integrated video platforms, but it's it's also um, it's specially designed for. Uh, Uh, asynchronous learning, learning that doesn't happen in real time all the time. There might be some real time learning uh, activities, but it's not about real time learning in the way that a regular classroom is. So that's been an important difference. And there's a real mix as to how schools have approached this continuity challenge. But there is a divide there um, in terms of the access to technology and also the ICT skills of students and teachers and their preparedness for online learning. ACR Research Director Julian Freylon has written about those skills and preparedness in a recent teacher article. Sue Thompson, Deputy CEO Research here at ACR, also highlighted in her most recent teacher column things as simple as, do students have a quiet place to study? Do they have access to books and resources in the home? So there's that sort of divide there already. You co-authored a paper with ACR colleagues for the Australian Government, which explores the likely impact on educational outcomes of vulnerable children who are learning at home during COVID-19. Yeah, so I think what the situation has shown us is probably just brought into a sharp focus 
uh, long-standing existing inequities. And, and they relate to um, access to technology. So we know that um, uh, certain groups have poorer access to technology. And obviously that access isn't just about remote or very remote areas of Australia. It's also related to socioeconomics and um, the opportunity to be able to purchase hardware and software. We know about that. Um, and of course, it's actually not just about the hardware or even the software or the access. It's really just like in a regular classroom. It's actually about the quality of the teaching and learning that happens in that space. It's the most important thing. Yeah, it's interesting. I've had this discussion with a few people over the last few weeks that good teaching is good teaching whatever the space and circumstance that's been another realization for some that oh well actually these things work really well in the classroom too so it does come down to the quality of the teaching doesn't it it does and one of the things that I know that my teacher colleagues will be very familiar with now is that teaching using technology or teaching or good even good online teaching is not the same as face-to-face teaching it requires uh, an enhanced skill set Uh, to be able to uh, drive teaching and learning and enable teaching and learning in what is essentially a different kind of classroom. And as I say, most teachers are not prepared for that because we've never had this situation before. But I think um, some of my colleagues and some of the education systems that I've been working with are really seeing some potential for what has coming out of what has been a very difficult situation for some ways in which they might change and innovate on their practice in the future. Absolutely. Even so, there's a likely impact on educational outcomes, particularly for vulnerable children. What are some of those impacts that we need to be on the lookout for? And how can we respond to that as things move back into the classroom? So we know that some students who've had poor access or students who are at risk of disengaging are probably likely to be more uh, impacted by the situation than others who have, as you've said, Joe, better resources at home, um, better able to have uh, parental support at home. So we know that they're going to be uh, likely more impacted by that. I, I guess a key message to teachers and, and schools is they know their students, they've been connecting with their students the best way that they can do. They have a lot of information around the students. And so it's going to be really important as as they're coming back to school is to be able to identify their starting points for learning and to to pick up on those and plan appropriately for those. So uh, we're imagining there will be a differential impact on uh, depending on geography and a whole range of things on on children. Um, But, you know, teachers are very good at being able to pinpoint starting points for learning and uh, planning for, for, for that. Is there a small proportion of students who may have fallen off the rail altogether that maybe won't have been in contact at all during this period? We're talking about maybe a couple of months? Undoubtedly, uh, and there has been some uh, literature come out around you know, the, the, the risk factors about students who are already at risk from disengaging from school. But what we also know is that uh, schools track that information quite um, carefully. Um, so we're not sure because we don't have the information yet, but we are looking to understand the situation better about the impacts for different students. I mean, some some schools have um, tried to be thinking about uh, for their uh, classes um, in remote teaching and using technology, taking a role at the beginning of a class <laughs> like they would do uh, face-to-face, but they found that that hasn't been terribly effective. So 
you know, schools where they have the students enrolled, they will be able to capture quite quite um, easily those students who've not been engaged in the learning and why they haven't. And I'm sure that schools will have those systems in place to be able to follow through with those students who may have already been at risk for disengaging. I'm speaking to Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy about how schools have adapted to the challenge of emergency remote teaching during COVID-19. We'll be back after this quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Enhanced TV. Invite the world's leading educational storytellers into your classroom. Enhanced TV streams the best curriculum-linked movies, documentaries and TV shows Australian television has to offer. As a non-profit service, our platform offers an affordable teachers-only school plan, a favourite for primary schools. Take a free 60-day trial with a choice of two school plans at enhancedtv.com.au. Click on subscribe for full details. My guest today is Professor Pauline Taylor-Guy. You are part of an expert group assembled by Australia's chief scientist, Dr Alan Finkel, to provide advice to the federal government about learning outcomes for online versus in-class education. What were some of the findings from that research analysis? That was very interesting um, being part of that rapid research information forum because uh, really this situation hasn't occurred before and people are looking for... um, uh, sources of evidence that are perhaps that, that could be related to the current situation. The only way we're really going to know the impacts is to is to investigate the impacts, the hows and whys of all of that. So, uh, and that there was a, a quite a lot of interest in uh, situations such as the online charter schools in the USA. But those aren't really uh, that situation is not really um, relevant to the Australian situation. There's uh, been a, 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 some research done in New Zealand post the earthquakes that may have been having some relevance to us in Australia in that um, overall uh, there, were, were, there wasn't a massive ne- negative impact for uh, over student outcomes. Um, but again, there was a, probably a, a greater impact on more vulnerable children. So we don't really know, and we don't really know which uh, parts of this evidence that we have from different contexts will be relevant for us in Australia. But, you know, we're looking to be really trying to understand what's going on here and what's, uh, what the differential impacts have been and which kinds of uh, strategies that uh, schools have been using that, that have actually mitigated those, those effects. Absolutely. I want to switch the focus to the educators and some of the strategies they've been using to good effect. Reflecting on what's happened, what's working and what isn't working, that's an important part of the process anyway. So does there need to be a structured approach to thinking about the impact of different ways of working uh, during these times and how to build on those? Well, I think it would be useful if schools um, did do that. But we are working with some education systems who are already thinking about that. So already seeing that, uh, although this has been a very difficult situation, there are um, great benefits in it. For example, um, schools networking with each other to be able to, the possibility of schools networking with each other to offer particular subjects, for example, and understanding that a school day doesn't necessarily have to be um, from nine till three that you could have some flexibility in the school day. So these are all things that teachers, um, and when we know schools are, are, are kind of considering. And there was um, a lovely example 
uh, from one of the systems we're working with that where they're saying, well, we've turned off all of these things. Which things are we going to turn on now and why? Um, because I, and that's part of like system reflection as well as school reflection, things that have worked really well. Um, and I, I certainly think that some of the collaboration that's happened within schools and across schools has been really beneficial. And people are already thinking about ways in which they could um, use the learning that they've, they've had in recent turbulent weeks to be able to plan for their students better and have better infrastructure maybe and better skills in their teachers to be able to offer a curriculum more flexibly. What we've seen with different schools is adapting as they go with their strategies. So going from taking a role every day, having students sitting in front of a computer for most of the day, which is really uh, not great practice and not sustainable and very exhausting for students and for teachers, to thinking about, well, what is it that we really need to concentrate on? How are we going to chunk up learning so that there are opportunities, particularly for older students, to be able to do independent learning, um, to have timetables that are um, uh, where they can go do physical activity and various different uh, activities. Um, so we've seen schools adapt as they go and really try and focus on the important things, having catch-up sessions, for example, rather than timetable classes, so kind of Q&A sort of idea. So we've seen that happen. And then we've seen this, we know that in the emergency part of this situation, what we would call phase one of um, remote teaching, the real importance to be keeping connected with students, kind of socially connected with students. So we would say, you know, Maslow before Bloom's. Um, really trying to do that. And I've noticed some fabulous, just fabulous um, examples of that, um, particularly in schools where they have um, students who, maybe a large proportion of students from low socioeconomic backgrounds or from uh, different language backgrounds. I've seen some wonderful examples. So um, one school that's close to my my home in Cairns is uh, Cairns West State School, who use already use their Facebook page to do a whole range of community interaction activities but having different activities taught by the teachers on little videos on Facebook every day and communicating those in different languages and having some exercises and challenges for those primary age students has just been an absolute joy to see. That's a great one. I've had a look at the Facebook page and loved those teacher-led activities. There are some keep fit exercises there, story time. There's a science experiment to make a volcano. There was a stargazing activity in there. Just brilliant stuff. So in your role here at ACR, you work very closely with schools across the country and across all sectors, and they've all got a different contexts, different staff and student needs. What are some of the examples of good practice you've seen during the COVID-19 restrictions? How have leaders and teachers risen to the challenge of this new environment? Um, I don't know this school personally, but I've been reading about a, a school in Melbourne, Sacred Heart Primary School in inner Melbourne, um, in, in Fitzroy, where, where most of the students there don't speak English as a first language and don't own their own computer. But that school have done amazing things in, um, in being able to try and connect their, the, the children to their learning um, using technology, giving them hardware and software and access and running uh, very interactive live sessions for language learners, very, very important. 
flexibility of the timetable, uh, using the school space in very COVID safe ways to be able to bring a parent and a student into the school that they needed to do that. So I've seen wonderful examples there. And even in um, schools, uh, schools where um, who might have been very wedded to a very traditional curriculum and uh, traditional curriculum delivery uh, are now talking about ways in which they can put more flexibility into their curriculum uh, because I think schools realise that there are occasions where groups of students um, would need that flexibility regardless of, of whether there was a pandemic or not and, and how they could really adapt their teaching. That, that notion of a flipped classroom has really started to get some appeal in, in schools that may not have considered it before. Yeah, that's been a really interesting knock-on effect. Uh, you mentioned flipped learning there. Of course, some of the strategies that we're using now are based around use of technology. And others are strategies that don't use technology that we already know are very effective. Can you take us through some of those? Yeah, so we know, um, and this is kind of an opportunity for uh, to, to perhaps put some focus on those as well, that we know, that, for example, that the simple act of putting books in homes, not just learning resources that teachers have put together, but books for young children has a positive impact over their whole academic trajectory. So there are things that we can think about in this space which we, we, could, we can easily do, um, which would make a difference to children in the long term. The other thing is there are there are programs such as uh, Families as First Teachers, um, which is a, a kind of signature program that's used in the Northern Territory, which is based on the Abbasidarian approach, where um, educators work with families as the first teachers of children, and uh, address um, intergenerational educational disadvantage in that way. And we know that they work really well. So we have some uh, good evidence around what can work with families and what can work with uh, to support parents and I really hope this is something that uh, schools are seeing um, as parents have been involved in this there's children's home uh, learning ways in which they can capitalize on that well into the future. That's all for today but if you'd like to keep listening there are more than 150 podcasts in the teacher archive including our latest research files episode featuring Professor Parsi Salberg. You'll find us by searching Teacher A-C-E-R wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to the channel. It ensures that new podcasts land in your feed as soon as they're available. You've been listening to a podcast from Teacher, supported by Enhanced TV. Subscribe to one of our new school plans or free as an individual using Teacher as the promo code. We're non-profit, we're for teachers and filmmakers enhancedtv.com.au